So glad to see you yet again this beautiful Sunday. I'm so glad that you guys are with us and joining us again digitally at our digital experience. I want you to hear me. This is an experience. So that means engage and experience, not just watch a service. We want you to engage. So uh, why don't you do me a favor real quick right here at the beginning. And why don't you put some hands, some emoji hands, some waving hands, some praise hands, some praying hands, whatever, real quick in the chat. If you're watching this afterwards, that's fine. Uh, you can still post something in the comments. We'll be all right with that. Man, we are so glad that you guys are with us in our series that we've been in uh, called Pivot as we've talked about the life of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Uh, many of his letters, we've talked about what it looks like to live a life of pivot as Paul did and uh, how I honestly believe uh, that we're kind of in this season right now uh, in, in America, in the world, in, in the church uh, realm of pivot, where we have to learn to pivot in some things. See, some of us, we since church hasn't been going, our pivot has been we actually have to read the Bible during the week. Uh, you know, it, because if we depend on, our, on church to help us grow spiritually, we're missing the point. We've got to take it in our own hands. And so we've been in this life of pivot and talking about what that means and what that looks like. Some of us have had to pivot new careers, uh, pivot uh, financial budgets. We've had to pivot decisions. We had to pivot on a lot of things over the past, say, three months or so. And it's been difficult. And I want to speak real quick to the things that are still going on in our world today. And I want to say that I, I'm so proud of some of the change and some of the, uh, the heart, heartbeat and some of the passion uh, that I'm seeing from people all over the world. I, I believe in standing up for what you believe in. I believe in standing up uh, for the oppressed, and I believe in, in supporting all mankind. And, and as I think about this and as I see all this going, I just can't quit thinking about the, uh, the world right now. I believe the Lord's just got us in a reawakening, in a reawakening season, in a resetting season to where he's going, hey, it's got to come back to a place to where you reset to me, to where you focus on me. You awaken to my power and my cross. And I'm not saying God brought all this, but I'm saying God will use all this, right? Come on, somebody. Uh, if you believe that, say, I believe that in the chat. No, I, I just believe God's going to use it. Romans 8, 28 says so clearly that he uses all things uh, for the good of those who love him. And I just know that God's in a reawakening and he's changing some things in our lives and he's going to continue uh, to do that and uh, he's going to continue to awaken us. So I'm just so proud of the way the church has been. I'm so proud of who who you've been during this time and what's been happening. I'm, I'm grateful we get to serve a church where we dig into the word. So I don't want you to just sit there and watch me preach. I want you to engage today. I want you to grab your Bibles and uh, turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at the second letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth right here. Um, and we're going to talk about some things today. And if you're taking notes, I hadn't said this in a while, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, I want you to title it this, Define It Different. Define It Different. Go ahead and look at somebody in your room right now where you are and tell them, define it differently. Come on, tell them, don't just sit there, tell them, define it differently. I, I believe one of the pivots we can make in this, in this realm 
in this time, one of the pivots Paul had to make was he had to learn and, and realize that uh, in order to thrive in seasons of pivot or seasons of sudden change, we had to learn, he had to learn how to define things differently. Now, as you know, if you've walked outside at all in the past two weeks, uh, you know that uh, we're not walking around uh, in, 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 a, in an oven. We're walking around outside, but summer's here in South Carolina, guys. Summer is here. It feels two degrees cooler than hell outside. It is ridiculously hot. Um, this weekend feels good, but I'm just telling you, like, overall, it's been hot. Summer's here. Well, well here's what that means, right? So it's been, it's been hot outside, but we just left our spring season. Now, there's a famous phrase that goes around, and I saw it happening a lot during the quarantine for coronavirus, and it's spring cleaning. So what people do in the spring, for whatever reason, is we just start cleaning stuff out. We go more minimalistic. We get rid of things, honestly, so we can bring in more things, right? We get rid of stuff, things like that. Well, recently, we started doing that at our house. Actually, for the past year, we've been working on becoming more minimalistic. All right, let me fix this. My wife has been working on becoming more minimalistic. I, I am not very good at that. That is like me throwing away something very important to me, right? So recently, my wife was cleaning out some things and getting rid of uh, some things in our garage and at our house. And I'm one of those guys that I can find a use for anything, right? So I've got this, it, it's kind of sad. Y'all know I love shoes, but right next to the garage door, I've got old shoes sitting there. I got a pair of shoes for cutting grass. I got a, a pair of shoes for just walking outside uh, and a pair of flip-flops. I got a pair of hunting shoes. I got a pair of work boots, like all this kind of stuff. Fishing shoes. I got all that stuff. And they're sitting right there, right? So recently, my wife was cleaning out the garage, and she got to this stack of shoes of mine that are sitting by the door. That's ridiculous. I got like five pairs of shoes just for five different things to do in, in my life right there by the door. And she asked me, she said, what of these shoes can we throw away or can we give away? And I was like, none. And she goes, Brandon, no, we've got to give some of them away. They're, they're old, they're nasty, they're dirty, they're no good. And I was like, no, 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 no. See, these are for fishing. These are my work boots. These are my hunting shoes. These are my flip-flop. Like, I've got to use these cut grass in because they're comfortable. Like, I, this is what I do. Like, this, this is what they're used for. And, and what ended up happening is um, we compromised and I got rid of a couple pair. Um, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, no, we compromised. I did get rid of a couple pair. I kept a majority, but here's the difference, right? The way I defined their use is what happened with them. Think about it. When she defined them as junk, we wanted to get rid of them. She wanted to get rid of them. When I defined them as useful, I could keep them and use them for the use uh, that I had in my mind. Here's the truth. Wherever you are in life, whatever you're doing, what you define it as is what you'll use it for. Wherever you are in life, what you define it as is what you'll use it for. So if someone tries to correct you or hold you accountable to something, if you define it as an attack, you'll use it as offense. But if you define it as help, then you'll use it as something that makes you better. That's just, that's just an example, but whatever you're going through, what you define it as is what you'll use it 
for. In my sense, I define them as usable in these situations, and so I use them for that because that's what they're defined as. So I want to ask you this right off the bat. What are you defining your life and life circumstances and what you're going through in life right now? What's happening in the world right now? What are you defining it as? Because if you define it as just inconvenient, then you'll see it as a problem. But if I see it, if I define it as an awakening, then I'll see it as an opportunity to grow. Are you following me today? Look at somebody and say, define it different. Define it different. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, something begins to happen. Paul begins to write in his story about how he has this vision and this purpose to build the church of Corinth, and he's doing all these things. And the leaders and the team members and the people of the church in that day, they were starting to lose the passion. They were starting to lose the zeal. They were kind of checking out. They weren't watching on Sundays as much as they used to. They weren't praying for him and for the leader of the church like they were. They weren't serving like they were. They didn't have the passion and the zeal and desire. And they were beginning, honestly, if you want me to put it kind of bluntly in what he was feeling, they were starting to put more merit into other pastors and other leaders' work than they were the one that they committed to. And so in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul's getting kind of frustrated about this. And in 2 Corinthians 11, in that letter, it starts to kind of come out a little bit. And he starts to kind of let the frustration out. And he starts talking to him about, hey, we're committed to this thing. And Here's what it looks like, and here's why I've been called to be the pastor, the apostle of, of this church in Corinth, and here's how I'm, le- um, I'm describing it, and here's how I'm, I'm leading it, right? And then in, in 2 Corinthians verses 11, I mean chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, the apostle Paul, it says that he's kind of defending his apostleship, that he's kind of just like telling them, but here's what he's really doing. He's going, here's what I have given up so that I can see ministry in the kingdom of God expand in Corinth and beyond. And and I want to read those to you because what we can't do is we can't get so far away from context and scripture that we forget that uh, Paul was a great apostle, he was a great leader and pastor, but we have to understand the sacrifice that Paul went through um, after, after he was Saul of Tarsus, he had his conversion to the apostle Paul. <clears throat> he began leading and, and planting churches. We can't forget what he went through. And I want to read verses 23 uh, through 28 to you this morning. And I, want, I don't want to read them to you, I want you to read with me. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians 11. It says this, it says, are they, are, they, uh, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. It, I more so. So he's saying, if they're servants of Christ, then, then I am even more so. And I know that sounds crazy, and I know that sounds insane, but I'm even more so committed in serving Christ. And then he goes, um, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, I've been beaten times without number, often in danger of death. So he's going, here's why that I have been justified to be even more of a servant of Christ in this way because of these things. And then he goes on and he says this, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, being the ocean, 
I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in uh, the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights. I've been in hunger. I've been in thirst. I've been often without food, in cold, and exposure. And then verse 28, apart from such external things, there is daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So the apostle Paul is looking at him and going, listen, I'm not asking you to commit and sacrifice in a way that I never have. I'm not asking you to do this so that I don't have to do anything. I'm asking you to join me in suffering. I'm asking you to join me in building the kingdom of God in Corinth. I'm asking you to look at me and go, I, he's, not, he's not talk. He's action. He's been beaten with rods. He's had the 39 lashes. He's been shipwrecked. He's been in the deep, in the wilderness, in the city. He's gone almost to death and came back again. He's gone hungry. He's gone thirsty. He's almost frozen to death. He's almost gone through heat exhaustion. He's been through it all. Why? For the sake of the gospel. If you remember last week, we talked about that. He said, all things I do for the sake of of the gospel. He's going through these things and he looks at him and goes, I need you to partner with me to lead people to Christ and I'm not asking you to suffer in ways that I have not suffered at it more in greater ways. Man, what a leader. And then he talks about all those things and so we can go, oh, you're just kind of like, woe is me, pity party. But there's a pivot that happens in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30. His pivot point takes place. And we look past it a lot of times as his pivot in this moment. In chapter 11, verse 30 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Why is that a pivot? Because Paul goes... If I have to tell you everything I've been through, if I have to be prideful, if I have to be proud, if I have to esteem something about myself, it's going to be the things that I've struggled in. It's going to be my weakness. Well, why is that important? Here's why. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, one, verse one chapter over, in verse 9, we've already talked about this, but it says, and he's talking about a thorn in his flesh, and it says this, my, and he has said to me, talking about the Lord has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and this is why he boasted in weakness, for power is perfected in my weakness. His pivot was when Paul said, I know that I do all things for the gospel and I have suffered all these things, but if I must boast, I will define it as strength being perfected rather than weakness killing me. Think about it. 
He said, I, I've gone through all these things. It's been a hard life. It's been difficult. It's been frustrating. Now I've got my own church turning against me. I got my church that says they're committed to me. They won't even be a part of what we're doing. I got my church that puts more emphasis on other leaders and other pastors and other places rather than helping me build something here in Corinth. I got all this stuff happening. It's frustrating. It's aggravating. But if I must talk about those things, if I must lift those things up, if I must exalt those things, if I must boast in something, it will be in the things I struggle in because I refuse to define my life as a struggle, but I will define my, wink, my, my, my life as a strength because in my struggle, God's strength becomes what I define it as is what I use it for. Are you struggling? Is your life a struggle or is your life a place where strength is being perfected? I don't know about you, but I may go through things in my life that are difficult. I may go through things in life that are hard. I may go through things in life that are not fun and, and that are frustrating and they get me mad and get me all worked up. But the truth of the matter is what I define it as is what I use it for. And I refuse to define it as a struggle that will kill me. I will define it as a weakness where God's strength is made perfect in my life. Please understand this. It doesn't just say, because here's how we say it. In my weakness, he is made strong. No, he's not made strong. His strength is made perfect. Where you're weak, his perfect strength comes up. Where you're weak, his strength now shows up in a perfect way. It's not that he is made strong. He's already been strong. God doesn't have to be made strong. God is strong and his perfect strength shows up in our great weakness. That's a pivot, man. That's a pivot. And I love how Paul pivoted in that way. And I want to I talk to you for just a minute about four realizations that we have to go through in order to define it differently. Four quick realizations that I've learned and I believe Paul looked at and we can learn in the New Testament. Four quick realizations that we have to understand if we're going to define things differently. And the first one is this, is that words create culture. Words create culture. Everything in your life has a culture around it. Everything. Your home has a culture. What is culture? Your culture is the attitude and expression of what happens in your life. It's the attitude and expression of values. It's what it feels like. It's the environment that you're living in. So your house has a culture. Are people welcomed into your home when they walk there? Do they feel peaceful? Do they feel welcomed or do they feel uptight and do they feel stressed? It's a culture that creates that. Do your kids, are your kids walking on eggshells or are your kids uh, joyful to be with you? It's a culture. Everything we do is a culture. There's a culture in your workplace. There's a culture in your mind. There's a culture everywhere that we go. There's culture in your church. Words create culture. In fact, there's another New Testament writer, the half-brother of Jesus, James, in chapter 3. He writes something that is so powerful that we have to understand, and I, I don't have time nor do I want to really break it down in this message, but he makes this statement in James chapter 3. He says this, he says that um, it's like a rudder on a large ship, your tongue uh, uh, directs your life. Like a rudder on a, on a large ship. In other words, he says the tongue is such a small muscle and sm such a small part of the body, yet it directs everything of who you are. In other words, your tongue, your words create your culture. What culture are you living in? If you don't like the culture that you experience in your everyday, what words are you feeding it? 
Words create culture. Well, I'm just so sad today. Well, you just woke up and spoke that. Words are prophecies that prophesy culture. Well, I'm just, today's going, it's Monday. It's Monday. It's just, oh, here we go. It's Monday. It's just a tough day. No, wake up tomorrow and go, it's Monday. I'm going to own today. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do something. My God tells me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I don't care what comes in my way today. I don't care if it's Monday or Friday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conquer the day. Words create culture. It creates a mentality that we can do things. Words create culture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, If I must boast, if I must speak highly of something, if I must talk about this, then I'm going to talk about it in the right way. I'm going to talk about this. If we wanted, he wanted a culture of strength. So here's what he said. I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about my weakness. I'm going to create a culture to where my weakness is seen as strength being made perfect. I'm going to create that culture in my life. I'm going to create that culture in my church. I'm going to create that culture here because here's why. Listen, culture, Dr. Sam Chan says it like this, culture eats vision for lunch. You can have the greatest vision in the world for your life, for your kids, for your family, for your church, for your business, whatever it is, you can have your greatest culture, I mean vision in the world, but if your culture does not match your vision, your vision will never come to pass. Why? Because your culture will sabotage your vision. I can have the greatest vision, hear me, this is practical. I can have the greatest vision, I've given my life to Christ, right? I've given him my life, I'm committed to my church, I'm serving. I can have the greatest vision in the world to, to learn and grow spiritually with God, but if my culture doesn't back up me reading the word, worshiping, engaging on Sunday services, engaging with my church family, growing with God, putting Christ at the center, if my culture in my life <coughs> does not back that up and support that, then the truth is that vision will never come to pass because I can't grow closer to someone I don't spend time with. I have a vision Oh, vision's trumped. Woo, yeah, let's go. Tri our triumph. Yeah, vision, vision, vision. What is your culture taking you to? Words create culture. The second real realization that we have to understand is this. Your thoughts create reality. So your words create culture. Your thoughts create reality. Your, your life goes in the direction of your thoughts. Some of you today, your greatest enemy is not the devil. Your greatest enemy is not your financial situation. Your greatest enemy is not security and, and, and confidence in yourself. Your greatest enemy is not your spouse. I know you think it is. Your greatest enemy is not somebody. Here's your greatest enemy. It's between your ears. Some of you today, your greatest enemy is your thoughts because you can't get out of your own doggone way to get towards something that God's called you to do. Like, I'm just here to tell you, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, I've, I've mentioned it every single week of this series because it was the pivotal moment that changed every other pivotal moment in Paul's life. He says this, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, be changed because your mind is made new. Hear me today. Your life goes in the direction of your thoughts. Get your thoughts under control. Because here's what he says after that. We stop the scripture there a lot of times, but he says this. So that, so be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So here's what Paul's saying. You will never be able to encounter the good, 
pleasing and perfect will of God in its fullness until what's up here is changed. That's powerful. Hear it again. Paul, a persecutor of Christians, one that thought in order for the ideology of Judaism and the belief of Ju Judaism and, and, and Jewish culture for it to thrive, he had to eradicate this new radical view of Christianity through Jesus Christ. He had to kill people. His mind was so transformed that now the fullness of the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God could come out in his life because he was transformed because his mind was made new. And he's trying to tell us the only way the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God ever comes out in your life in its fullness is you have to get control of your mind. That's why he also makes this statement at another place in Scripture. He says this, he says, Take captive your thoughts and make them subject to Christ. I've, I've told you this before throughout this series, but here's the thought. You have to ask yourself this question. Is this what God would say about me? Is this what God would have me to feel? And is this what God would have me to do? And if the question to those are no, then you take it captive, you throw it in a prison cell, and you get rid of the thought. You replace it with what does God say about me, what does God want me to feel, and what does God want me to do? Those are the things that we have to do, and we have to replace our thoughts. The problem is many of us aren't really changed because our minds are still the same. I can't walk into a new reality of my life and still think in the old reality of my life. Get your thoughts under control. I know, I know. I know what you're saying today. Yeah, but I've got years of learned behavior, and that's easier said than done. I agree. I agree it's easier said than done. I understand it's easier said than done. But it's not... It's not any easier than going through um, and killing people and then having a, a Damascus Road experience and everything that you ever learned before is now wiped away and you have to learn something new. Like my point is in all of this is it's easier said than done, but if I really, hear me, if I really love God and I really want to see His purpose revealed in my life and fulfilled in my life, guess what I have to do? Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Stop. Let me just free somebody today. I'm just kind of on a kick right now. Let me free somebody today. Stop making excuses and start making progress. Stop going, well, this is just how I think. No, it's not. It's how you allow yourself to think. Change the narrative. Define it different. Don't let your thought take you to a place that God hasn't called you to go to begin with. Don't make excuses, make progress. And hear me, this isn't a one-time thing where you pray and go, oh God, please change my mind, and poof, poof. It's like Aladdin shows up out of a genie bottle, everything changes, and now you don't ever have to worry about it again. Paul talks about being daily renewed in the Spirit. He talks about how it is a constant process of being filled with the Spirit of God in his life. Your changing and renewing is a daily journey that you have to go on every day. That's why every morning you wake up, you have to wake up and go, no, I'm going to conquer the day. I'm going to make a difference today. I'm going to change the world today. I'm going to do what I got to do today to draw closer to God. Your words create culture. Your thoughts create reality. I got to move quick. The third one is, is your actions create disciplines. What you consistently do, you become. Your actions create disciplines. What you consistently do, you become. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
verse 12, kind of going up from where we started reading, uh, Paul makes this statement. I actually love, I love this statement. He says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do. He's talking about all these things that are happening and all this stuff that's coming against. And he's talking about how all these things that people are giving their lives to really don't matter anyway. And he says, but what I'm doing, what I'm doing, what I'm giving my life for, the gospel that I'm working to spread, the church that I'm working to build, the people that I'm working to develop, what I'm doing, I'll continue to do no matter what. In other words, he creates an action in his life, a culture in his life. He creates an action of perseverance. Perseverance is the ability to move forward no matter what's in front of you. Your actions create disciplines. He also says it in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. You know the scripture. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. He says it again. My action is that I will persevere because my discipline is that I will not quit. Your actions create discipline. Some of us can't figure out why we don't have enough time in the day because we haven't disciplined to where we don't actually tell our time what to do. Our time tells us what to do. Some of us have created actions to where we don't budget our money and we wonder why we got more month left at the end of our money. It's because we haven't created a discipline of telling our money what to do. Our money tells us what to do. Come on, somebody. Our actions create disciplines, and then the fourth one feeds right into it. Our disciplines create destinies. Our disciplines create destinies. Not a physical destination. Not a physical destiny. I don't want to talk about like where you're going to be when you're 95 years old and, and you know that Jesus is about to come back. I don't want to talk. I'm talking about what are you leaving behind? What legacy, what destiny are you leaving behind for your kids, for your community, for your church, for your people? Because here's the thing that I have been thinking about a lot lately is what if I get to the end of my life and I have spent my entire life chasing things that don't even matter anymore? What if I leave my kids a Twitter handle that's got a, a million followers and five million retweets and whatever? What if I leave my kids my Instagram account, right? And it's got all the, who cares? What's that going to do to help them? Nothing. But what I can do is my disciplines can help leave a legacy for my kids that teach them how to love regardless of skin color, socioeconomic status, and where they came from the night before. I can leave a destiny and a legacy through the disciplines in my life of how to take care and be generous with their money because I can't teach them to be generous with their money whenever I won't even give what God asked me to give. So I have to go above and beyond. I want my kids to see that me and my wife give above and beyond. Why? That's a legacy I want to live. I can't teach my, I can't leave a legacy of my kids being community oriented and loving people and serving people where they are if they don't see me out sweating, handing out boxes of food to people. I can't, I can't do it. My actions create disciplines, but my dis disciplines create destinies. Some of us are mad at the destiny we're heading towards, and we really don't need to look at the symptom of where we're going. We need to pivot and go, what are my disciplines? Because my disciplines are taking me exactly where I'm going. Come on, this is good today. So Paul had to make all these pivots. He had to make all these changes and all this stuff. And then he says in Romans... 
Oh, come on. This is good. He, he says in Romans chapter 8. I'm flipping there. I hope you are too. Romans chapter 8. I can't get there. There it is. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Paul makes this statement. He's talking about victory in Christ throughout Romans chapter 8. And then in verse 37, he says this. He says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. He says, in everything else, in life, in, in, in struggle, in weakness, in strength, in goodness, and in bad, we overwhelmingly conquer. I want you to hear me today as you make the pivot to learn how to define it different. As we learn that our words, as we learn to create culture with our words, as we learn to uh, change our thoughts because we want to change our realities, as we learn to change our actions so we can create good disciplines, and as we learn to change our destinies by creating good disciplines, I want you to hear me today through Him who loved us, through God our Father, through Christ our Savior, through the Spirit our Empowerer. I want you to hear me today we overwhelmingly conquer we don't hardly conquer we don't barely conquer we don't get to the edge and go all right that's good enough no we overwhelmingly we jump over the line of conquer we jo jump over the line of victory we jump over the line of knowing who we are in him because of him who loved us we overwhelmingly conquer in all these things in everything we go through in every pivot we have to experience in everything in life, in every shaking, in every stirring, in every reawakening, in everything we understand and everything we don't, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Through Him who loved us. That means Him who loved us has to be in us so that we can go through Him. So that we can go through Him. My life should rest in Him. Why is it important to define it different? Because what if it's not a problem, it's an opportunity? What, what if it's not an inconvenience, but it's a learning moment? What if it's not pain, but strength being birthed? What if we're defining what God's trying to do in our lives as something unuseful when it's actually incredibly useful? Because my Bible tells me he uses everything which makes everything useful. But when I define it as unuseful, I toss it into a wastebasket of my life and I let it sit over there and I never allow him to touch it because I don't want to encounter it, experience it, or go through it. When my Bible says I want all things, all things work together, all things, good things, bad things, understood things, misunderstood things, frustrating things, pleasing things, joyful things, maddening things, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I want all things because here's the truth. I got to define it as something where his strength is made perfect. He's not made strength in my weakness. In my weakness, his perfect strength rises up. Define it 
differently. You're not a mistake. You're not a failure. You're not a mess up. You're just weak right now. And that's the perfect platform for his strength, his perfect strength to show up in your life and change everything about your life. And I'm telling you right now, I'm speaking to somebody who's about to take their life. They've been thinking about it. I'm telling you something right now. You feel weak, but his strength is coming out. I know you feel like you're about to walk away from your marriage. In your weakness, he is, his perfect strength comes out. I know you feel like you're worth nothing and your finances are falling apart. Hear me today. In your weakness, his perfect strength comes out. I'm here to tell you, your life is not missing someone. Your life may be missing the Savior. And in your weakness of who you can't be, he says, I'll be that in the perfect shape of the cross. So I want to pray with you right now, right where you are. I'm going to pray two prayers. And if you're sitting out there and you go, man, my life is one big mess up. And I don't have it. I'm not loved. I'm not cared for. I'm not anything. No, 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 no. I want you to hear me. Jesus gave his life because he loved you. And he still loves you. Right where you are. And he loves you too much to leave you there. So if you're ready to give your life to Jesus this morning, would you just pray this prayer with me? Just say it uh, out loud. You'll be behind me a little bit, but that's all right. Just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you everything that I am everything I've ever been, and everything I'll ever be. I accept the cross as a payment for the sin that I can't pay for. Thank you for loving me enough to give me eternal life. I want to live for God for the rest of my days here and with God for the rest of my days there. I give you everything I have today. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know something. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you sh <clears throat> shall be saved. If you prayed that prayer and you believe that, you just gave your life to Jesus, everything has changed. Everything in your life has become redeemed. He's washed it in the blood. You've started a new life today. And if you prayed that and accepted Jesus in your heart, would you just type yes in the chat right where you are? Right now, just type yes right there. We want to celebrate with you. We want to congratulate you. I believe something's happening in your life right now. If you're in the room right now, wherever you are, would you just stand to your feet? And if you're at a place to where you just go, I need that prayer, I got to define it differently. My mind will not conquer me, my words will not conquer me, and nothing will conquer me. I am a, I will overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loves me and gave his life for me. If that's you and, and you need that prayer right now and you need to define it differently and you want to ask God to help you, would you stand to your feet and throw your hands in the air in your living room? I don't care how silly you feel, sometimes we got to feel silly to see a breakthrough take place. It's time to engage something, not just watch something. Let's throw our hands in the air and let's pray this together. Father God, we honor you. We give you everything that we have. We give you who we are. And God, I just thank you for who you are. And right now, God, as we go through this life, I pray that you'd help us to find things different. Let us not throw things away that you, as unuseful and you can't use and you don't want. God, you want it all because you love us that much. And so, God, I just pray right now that we define it differently. God, I pray you'd help our words create a great culture. I pray, God, that you'd help our thoughts create great realities of you. God, I pray that you would help our actions to create disciplines that drive destinies that you've called us to. God, I want to see us take 
take on hell and bring people out of the pits of hell and grow the kingdom. God, I want to see things take place in this county, in this state, and in other counties and states that we're called to. Father, I believe things are changing. I believe things are shifting in the spiritual realm. And God, I, there are people out there that need your help to conquer their minds, to conquer their mouths, to conquer their realities and actions and disciplines. And right now, I just declare that you're going to help us define it differently. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in our life. But God, more than that, if you never do anything else for us, you've done more than enough. And we love you because you are God. You are our Savior. You are our Father. And you are never ending. God, we honor you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Radiate Church, let's define it differently. I love you. I'll see you next week. Let's go change the world.